The 2009 Jerusalem Conference starts Monday evening, January 26th through Wednesday, January 28th, and you're invited. Take part in panel discussions and hear speeches on the war in Gaza, elections, alternative energy, aliyah, and more. Guest speakers include former IDF Chief of Staff Moshe Alon, Foreign Minister Tsipi Livni, Benjamin Netanyahu, world-renowned Islam expert Bernard Lewis, journalist Caroline Glick, and many others. To register, go to www.jerusalemconference.com. Israel National Radio will simulcast the conference live in English and Hebrew. See the program schedule and register online at www.jerusalemconference.com. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, and Israel. I'm Ray Patterson and this is Noahide Nations here on Israel National Radio. My good friend and co-host, Jim Long, will not be joining us today. Uh, Jim is on business uh, overseas in a few different countries, and his stay, unfortunately, had been extended. So I'm going to be working alone today and uh, working without a net, so please bear with me. Uh, We do have uh, uh, quite a bit to talk about today, and before we get into it, I'd like to do a little housekeeping and remind everyone that we sure enjoy all the emails you're sending in and encourage you to continue doing so and please just send them to noahide that's n-o-a-h-i-d-e noahide at israelnationalradio.com well as you know uh, in the united states we have just inaugurated barack obama who was the most recent american idol and it was a, an historic event. I, I must tell you that when I was watching it, I was rather taken uh, by the number of people who were in attendance. Uh, they approximated to be over 2 million people that attended this uh, uh, live firsthand. So this was quite an amazing event. Uh, of course, Barack Obama is the first Afro-American to be elected president and uh, i can't say that it's any more fitting that he would be from illinois the state in which abraham lincoln was born and of course abraham lincoln was the man who uh, initiated the civil war with the idealism of uh, ending slavery once and for all and i believe in what abraham lincoln did and and i believe in the idea that this country voted finally for an afro-american to be president of the united states so with that i do want to launch into some things we need to be a little bit wary of and it's not due to barack obama himself it has everything to do with the policies that he and the now liberal democrat senate and liberal democrat congress are going to be bringing along with them for the next at least two years possibly four years and that of course is What's going to happen to Israel now? Of course, during the election bid, uh, Barack Obama had high praise for Israel and said they have every right to defend themselves. But of course, that was on the campaign trail. Now that he is the president and he's, he's, he's been duly elected, duly sworn in, we can now go about really seeing what it's all about. And what I'd like to do is talk about uh, a couple 
of potential appointees, in fact, very serious candidates that he is uh, looking at, that uh, have a great deal of of involvement and opinion on uh, Israel. One of these potential appointees is uh, a man by the name of Daniel Kurtzer, uh, who is the next potential Middle East envoy. Uh, Mr. Kurtzer is certainly an interesting uh, individual and an interesting choice, given all the rhetoric that uh, President Obama uh, campaigned with on the campaign trail. Uh, First of all, uh, Daniel Kurtzer is uh, very critical and has been critical of Israel's strikes on the Palestinian terrorists. Uh, Kurtzer has publicly criticized Israel for striking at uh, Abu Ali Mustafa back in 2001. And uh, Abu Ali Mustafa was the head of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which, of course, over the years has murdered uh, many Americans and certainly many, many more Israelis. Daniel Kurtzer was also one of the main proponents Uh, of the so-called Arab Peace Initiative back in 2002. Uh, This initiative, my friends, uh, often described as one that offers Israel peace and normal relations with all the Arab states in exchange for Israel returning to its pre-1967 borders. In fact, uh, this man uh, demanded that Israel surrender uh, the vitally strategic territory by demanding its full withdrawal to the pre-June 1967 armistice lines, which, of course, was contrary to the language that was ultimately put in the U.N. Security Council Resolution 242. Uh, it really would have done a great deal of harm, obviously, from a, uh, a self-defense standpoint, but it also uh, involved the evicting of over 400,000 Jews from these areas. He further endorsed the uh, Arab position, which they call a unified Arab position, and that the Palestinian state must be free of Jews. Uh, kind of like back in the Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany days. Daniel Kurtzer also demanded uh, uh, that on the basis of a non-binding 1948 UN General Assembly resolution, which the Arab states themselves happened to reject at the time, Uh, He suggests implementation of the legally baseless so-called right to return to Israel for Palestinian Arab refugees and their millions of descendants, of course, at the Arab discretion, while Israel would also be obligated to compensate those choosing not to return. So, in other words, in order for the Arab League at that time to recognize Israel, Israel would have to agree to its own eventual destruction. The thing that is truly sad uh, about Daniel Kurtzer is that this man is a Jew. Uh, In fact, uh, the former Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin uh, Netanyahu, uh, said on more than one occasion that uh, with Jews like Kurtzer, it is impossible to build a healthy relationship between Israel and the United States. Um, In fact, also another former Israeli Prime Minister, Yitzhak Shamir, 
uh, he said of Kurtzer that he that the, that the man frequently pressured Israel to make one-sided concessions to the Arabs. He constantly blamed Israel for the absence of Middle East peace. Huh, imagine that. And quite frankly, Kurtzer had paid little or no attention to the fact that the Palestinians were carrying out terrorist attacks and openly calling for the destruction of Israel. Yes, my friends, this is a strong candidate for the Middle East envoy in the administration of Barack Obama. And hopefully that won't be the case, but right now he is a strong contender, and we also have another uh, strong contender. Uh, You may be familiar with this uh, young lady as well. Uh, Her name is Samantha Power. Uh, She's one of Barack Obama's top foreign policy advisors. Um, In fact, it's uh, interesting. Uh, She did an interview with a Harry Kreisler. I believe it's how they pronounce it, and I apologize if it's not. But he's actually the director of the Institute for International Studies at Berkeley. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Berkeley is one of the most liberal universities, if not the most liberal university, that the United States has to offer. But anyway, moving right along here, this was an interview conducted between uh, Harry Kreisler and Samantha Power, and I just want to quote one of his questions and her response just to give you an idea, just a little bit of an idea of who this woman really is. One of Mr. Kreisler's questions to Ms. Power uh, went like this. Let me give you a thought experiment here. Without addressing the Palestinian-Israeli problem, let's say you were an advisor to the President of the United States. How would you respond to current events there? Would you advise him to put a structure in place to monitor that situation in case one party or another starts looking like they might be moving toward genocide? Well, Ms. Power uh, responded by saying this. What we don't need is some kind of early warning mechanism there. What we need is a willingness to put something on the line in helping the situation. Putting something on the line might mean alienating a domestic constituency of tremendous political and financial import. It may more crucially mean sacrificing or investing, I think more than sacrificing, investing, billions of dollars, not in the servicing of Israel's military, but actually investing in the new state of Palestine, in investing the billions of dollars that it would probably take also to support what will have to be a mammoth protection force, not of the old Rwanda type, but a meaningful military presence. Because it seems to me that at this stage you have to go in as if you're serious. You have to put something on the line. Unfortunately, imposition of a solution on unwilling parties is dreadful. It's a terrible thing to do. It's fundamentally undemocratic. She goes on to say, but sadly, we just don't have a democracy here either. We have a liberal democracy. There are certain sets of principles that guide our policy, or that are meant to, anyway. It's essential that some set of principles becomes the benchmark, rather than a deference to leaders who are fundamentally politically destined to destroy the lives of their own people. 
I do think that since political leaders have been dreadfully irresponsible, and unfortunately, this does require external intervention. So let's now just sit back for a moment and ponder what Miss Power said here. Uh, make sure we're all on the same page and that we're all clear. What she is saying is that if she were advising the president, which very soon might be President Barack Obama, she would state, one, she would alienate the American Jewish community in the United States and around the world, and indeed all Americans, such as evangelical Christians, who also support Israel. Another thing that she clearly states is that Israeli leaders are destroying the lives of their own people. Now, I can't attest to this. I don't actually live in Israel, and I'm not sure how the government, I've heard good things, I've heard bad things, but I'm not sure. But she is clearly saying that the Israeli leaders are destroying the lives of their own people. Uh, let's see what else she says here. She wants to pour. <laughs> she wants to pour billions of dollars of the taxpayers' money into the new state of Palestine. Can you believe it? Palestine shouldn't even exist, let alone the American taxpayers financing by the billions to have the state put in place. Ms. Powers also makes it very clear that she would enjoy literally seeing an American ground invasion of Israel and the Palestinian territories. Please, you tell me what else she can mean by a mammoth protection force and a military presence that will be imposed by external intervention. She is advocating the exact same thing that she considers the height of arrogance and foolishness in Iraq, an American campaign to remake an Arab society. Yes, my friends, I've only talked to you about two people, two potential people, uh, very strong candidates for the Obama administration who are going to be dealing with the Middle East and all of our uh, foreign affairs, but particularly the Middle East, because every president comes into office and they've got the road map to peace. And in reality, none of them have the road map to peace. Least of all, these two people, who all they can envision, and this is what gets me, one of them's a Jew. All he wants to do is see Israel destroyed. He wants to see Israel utterly wiped out, and so does Ms. Power. And these are just two of the people that are up for top honors in the Obama administration. My friends, it's interesting because this all seems rather condemning to Israel and that Israel is going to be gone in the very near future. Uh, I'm going to share something with you in a little bit uh, that that's really not the case. But uh, what I want to do is kind of give, give a crash course on the Arab-Israeli conflict, the reality, the facts. These facts, my friends, you will not hear on the news networks, either on radio or TV or in print. So you are going to hear them here on Israel National Radio. So let's start with one of the facts. Israel became a nation 
1312 BCE, 2,000 years before the rise of Islam. And my friends, before I go on, I'd like to remind you, and I probably don't have to, but I'm going to, uh, that's... Those of us who study Torah, we understand that Hashem was building a nation of priests. Thus, the 613 commandments for a set-apart priestly nation. But at the same time, from a, a practical, secular viewpoint, Hashem was also building the nation of Israel. He was teaching the people how to build a nation, how to have a successful nation, how to interact with other nations, how to uh, uh, interact with the people of the land, your own people, how to live in harmony. They are a nation that we as the world would look to that would be a light to the nations. And that's who Israel is, and Hashem's Torah reflects those teachings. So another interesting fact that you won't hear in the news media is that the Arab refugees in Israel began identifying themselves as part of the Palestinian people for the first time in 1967. This, my friends, is two decades after the establishment of the modern state of Israel. Also, since the Jewish conquest in 1272 BCE, the Jews have had dominion over the land for 1,000 years with a continuous presence in the land for the past 3,300 years. Also, the only Arab dominion since their conquest in 635 CE lasted no more than 22 years. Here's a, another little-known fact. For over 3,300 years, Jerusalem has been the Jewish capital. Jerusalem has never been the capital of any Arab or Muslim entity. Even when the Jordanians occupied Jerusalem, they never sought to make it their capital. And, of course, Arab leaders never came to visit Jerusalem. Also, speaking of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, my friends, is mentioned over 700 times in the Tanakh, which, of course, is the Jewish Holy Scriptures. Jerusalem is not mentioned once in the Koran. Also, King David founded the city of Jerusalem. Mohammed never came to Jerusalem. Jews pray facing Jerusalem. Muslims pray with their backs toward Jerusalem. Here is fact number nine, my friends. In 1948, the Arab refugees were encouraged to leave Israel by their own Arab leaders. 68% left without ever being confronted or harassed by an Israeli soldier. While on the other hand, the Jewish ref refugees were forced to flee from Arab lands due to Arab brutality, persecution, and a whole host of other unmentionable things. Fact number 12. The number of Arab refugees who left Israel in 1948 is estimated to be around 630,000. The number of Jewish refugees from Arab lands is estimated to be the same. Fact number 12. Arab refugees were intentionally not absorbed or integrated into the Arab lands to which they fled, despite the vast Arab 
territory. Out of the 100 million refugees since World War II, theirs is the only refugee group in the world that has never been absorbed or integrated into their own people's lands. Jewish refugees, however, were completely absorbed into Israel, a country no larger than the state of New Jersey. Also, the Arab-Israeli conflict is very, very serious because the Arabs are represented by eight separate nations, not including the Palestinians. There is only one Jewish nation. The Arab nations initiated all five wars and lost. Israel defended itself each time and won. Act number 14. The PLO's charter still calls for the destruction of the state of Israel. Israel has given the Palestinians most of the West Bank land, autonomy under the Palestinian Authority, and has also supplied them. Act number 15. Under Jordanian rule, Jewish holy sites were desecrated and the Jews were denied access to places of worship. Under Israeli rule, all Muslim and Christian sites have been preserved and made accessible to the people of all faiths. You may not have been aware of this, but up until 1990, the UN Security Council passed 175 resolutions Were you aware that 97 were directly against Israel? Of the 690 General Assembly resolutions voted on before 1990, 429 were again directly against Israel. Another fact, we'll call this one 18. The good-for-nothing UN was silent while 58 Jerusalem synagogues were destroyed by the Jordanians. Also, the good-for-nothing UN was silent while the Jordanians systematically desecrated the ancient Jewish cemetery on the Mount of Olives. Also, and once again, the good-for-nothing UN was silent while the Jordanians enforced an apartheid-like policy of preventing Jews from visiting the Temple Mount and the Western Wall. Once again, my friends, these are facts that you will not hear broadcast in the media. Uh, it's very unfortunate. It is the truth. And we all know with certainty that the truth may be hidden but it will never be removed. Once again, my friends, this has no bearing at all on whether I'm against Barack Obama or not. In fact, to be quite truthful with you, I'm not. He's my president. I wish him all the best, and and I, and I pray for his success. On the other hand, he does seem to be hiring a number of people that seemingly are quite dangerous. Uh, dangerous to me, dangerous to you, dangerous to Israel. And this needs to be pointed out, and I cannot sit back and let it go unsaid. These are incredible times. We have to ask ourselves, what role should we be playing? What will we tell our grandchildren about what we did when there was a turning point in Jewish destiny? An opportunity for us to make a difference in the world that we live in. 
We're coming up against a break, my friends. I certainly hope you will stick with us for the next segment. We'll get into it a little bit more. But in the meantime, let's let Israel National Radio go ahead and, and pay a few bills so that we can make sure that we all stay on the air. We'll see you on the other side. Cut down on time at the airport. Introducing the ultimate airport experience by Menashe Sofer's Airport Service. It's the first of its kind. The VIP Meet and Assist Shuttle guarantees a completely stress-free traveling experience to and from Ben-Gurion International Airport. Online at msoferairport.com. Tell them you heard about it on Israel National Radio. Menashe Sofer Airport Travel. Speed and service. M-S-O-P-H-E-R airport.com. With Pesach approaching, Tour Plus is offering the English-speaking public a fantastic experience in Israel's leading hotels. Tour Plus has a stellar reputation for being the most professional and experienced hotel operator catering to the Orthodox community. We pay special attention to kashu standards, providing glat mahadran kosher food, and shmura matzah in each hotel. Visit us online at www.tourplus.co.il and click on English at the top. That's tourplus.co.il. Tour Plus, for the complete vacation. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm sure glad you decided to stick around for the second half of the Noahide Nation show. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, I'm Ray Patterson, and my good friend and co-host Jim Long is not with us today because uh, he's doing some business travel uh, overseas, and uh, hopefully we'll have him back by the end of the month. And in fact, he's going to be trying to make a, a stop over in Israel. I'm not sure if he's made it or not for the uh, Jerusalem Conference, which is currently going on. And uh, it's actually started last night, uh, Monday evening, and is running through uh, Wednesday. So it's all day Tuesday, all day uh, Wednesday, and the specific dates are the 26th, 27th, and 28th. So if you happen to be in Israel, I certainly hope you'll stop by and see what's cooking over at the Jerusalem Conference. They have a lot of great speakers, a lot of Torah being talked about, a lot of current events being talked about. And also Israel National Radio is going to be doing some live segments uh, from the conference. So if you get a chance, I'm not sure who's going to be handling the broadcast mic, but if you get a chance to swing by and and say hello and, and express your appreciation and support for what Israel National Radio does. You know, I was sitting and thinking during the break uh, how I might be able to help Barack Obama, as I mentioned uh, when we went into the break, that I, I really pray for, for his success uh, as our newly elected and newly inaugurated president. And I've kind of come up with an idea, which happens to be uh, a current events kind of thing. As many of you know, the United States is suffering with uh, potentially uh, one of the worst economic situation since the depression and we don't know for certain but it might wind up being worse than the actual depression so i I wanted to go ahead and and kick in my idea for barack obama and uh, certainly i won't be charging him a a consulting fee for this but uh, this one's on the house barack so please mr president here's one for you 
in terms of economic stimulus, what if the money that's being discussed for being handed out to the banks, to the auto dealers, some of which already has been handed out, but the the experts are, are tabulating this to actually cost the United States between 2 and $3 trillion. So let's go ahead and have a look at my solution to this problem. The thing we need to look at is stimulation. Now, when you talk about economic stimulus, the only way a capitalistic society functions is by consumers consuming. Now, many experts would argue that, oh, no, 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 you have to have manufacturing in order for people to perform con- uh, consumption. Well, my friends, let me let me tell you my side of this, is that you can't have consumption of manufactured goods if people aren't consuming. So let's see if we can find ourselves a solution from from that perspective. Uh, certainly this is nothing you'll hear in the media or ever spoken of by a politician, uh, God forbid. Uh, but here's my solution. The IRS in the United States uh, has determined that there's uh, approximately 138 million taxpayers in this country based upon the number of returns that have been submitted. Now, if we take the 2 to $3 trillion that's being discussed about uh, being thrown out to all these corporations who, oddly enough, put us in this situation in the first place, so let's go ahead and discuss it from the side of the taxpayers, the 138 million people out there paying taxes in the United States government. Let's talk about them getting this funding. Seems to make all the sense in the world to me. Once again, in a capitalist society, you have to have consumers who have money in order to consume so that manufacturing can occur, so that taxation on goods sold can be then passed on to the federal government. It seems to me, at the end of the day, the consumer, the taxpayer, is the one who should be getting the money. Now, if we look at the two figures, 138 million and the other figures of two to three trillion dollars, do you realize that if every one of those 138 million people were to get an equal share in this money, if we took the figure of two trillion dollars, every one of us would be getting a bailout or a rescue or let's just call it a check for $15,000. Now you can go ahead and kick that up to over 21,000 if we're talking about 3 trillion. Now let me ask you this and I know the answer for me if if I get asked this question but let me ask you the question. What would you do if you had 15 to 21,000 dollar check In the mail, you opened it, what would you do? Well, I think the answer, at least for me anyway, was, my gosh, I'm going to go out and spend. I'm going to put some of that money, if not all of that money, back into the economy. Why? Because it's not often that a consumer 
gets a check in the mail for fifteen to twenty one thousand dollars so there's a lot of people out there that my gosh they've been wanting to get that flat screen tv they're going to go out and buy it maybe they want a new car they're going to go out and buy it maybe it's a used car they'll go out and buy it my friends the bailout should be to us all of this funding should be coming to us as the starting point because we as the consumer are going to take that money and consume and through the consumption of all the goods means we have to have these goods manufactured which keeps manufacturing going and building and getting stronger people keep their jobs my gosh the housing industry all these foreclosures many people would be able to put that off for well into the future if not eliminate it altogether my friends, this is a serious solution. And I would sit down and I would write a letter to your Congress, congressman, to your senator, write it to Barack Obama himself. We, the people, can save this economy with the money you're going to be throwing out to the wind to all of these people who have put us here in the first place. Let us go ahead and use that money and let us save the economy ourselves. What do you folks think of that idea? You think we can save our economy ourselves? Can we band together? Can we do this? Why don't you send us an email? Let us know what you would do with your fifteen dollars to $21,000 check. Uh, just send the email over to noahide at israelnationalradio.com. I'd love to hear what you're going to be getting. And once again, President Obama, this is free advice. You will not be charged for this. All I really want to hear is the check in the mail. Sorry about going on and on about this, folks, but I really felt like this was truly a viable solution that certainly we all could appreciate, and I do believe that everybody would win, uh, all the taxpayers, the uh, manufacturers, retailers, and certainly the government would gain benefit from all the spending going on. And, you know, I just wanted to do the patriotic thing. I'm I'm here to help as, as much as I can, and certainly I'm prepared to provide a lot more help with a check in hand for fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, I can guarantee you that. But anyway, back to the matter at hand. Uh, in the previous segment, I was talking about the appointees, or I should say, some of the appointees of President Barack Obama. I'm sure some of them are going to work out just fine. A uh, great many others, well, it's not going to work out so fine. And I'm sure that you know many of us have sat back and wondered just how in the world do these people get away with the line of thinking and the actions that they want to take, and in particular against Israel. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you they're not getting away with it. They're absolutely not. They may be seemingly getting away with it here in the physical realm that Hashem created for us to exist in and and to do mitzvot, but they're not getting away with it in the heavenly courts. Uh, The heavenly courts are surely going to stand in judgment of, of these folks. And also we're probably wondering, how do these politicians, how do they continue to lie right to our faces and get away with it? Well, once again... They're not. And in fact, I'm even going to prove it to you. Let's let Hashem provide us with a little aid and comfort. 
in answering some of these questions. Uh, why don't you go ahead and flip open those Tanakhs that you have sitting in front of you, and why don't you go ahead and turn over to Proverbs. Proverbs is one of my favorite books, and quite frankly, I just love reading Tanakh. Even more so, being able to read it to you. But let's look over to Proverbs 19.5, where it clearly tells us what's going to be happening to these folks. For example, in 19.5, it says, A false witness shall not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall not escape. And again, in 19.9, it says, A false witness shall not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. It also says in Proverbs 29.12 that if a ruler listens to lies, then all his servants are wicked. So you can take a little comfort in that. And uh, why don't you go ahead and flip over to uh, Psalms, uh, Tehillim 45, where it says, Happy is the man who makes Hashem his trust and does not turn to the proud, nor to those who go astray after lies. And again in 58.4, he tells us, The wicked go astray from the womb. They err from birth, speaking lies. And again in Psalm 63.12, uh, he tells us, But the king shall rejoice in Hashem. Everyone who swears by him shall receive glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. And I'm sure you're probably wondering at, at this point, well, this all sounds great, but how are they going to be stopped? Why don't you go ahead and turn over to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25, uh, let's see, verse 31 through 38. Jeremiah 25, 31 through 38. And I'll go ahead and read it to you, and you just follow along with me. It goes like this. A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for Hashem has a controversy with the nations. He will enter into judgment with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword, says Hashem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great stormy wind shall be raised up from the far ends of the earth, and the slain of Hashem shall be at that day from one end of the earth till the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, nor gathered, nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground." Howl, you shepherds, and cry, and roll yourselves in the ashes, you chiefs of the flock, for the days have come for you to be slaughtered and dispersed, and you shall fall like a choice vessel. And the shepherds shall have nowhere to flee, nor the chiefs of the flock nowhere to escape. A voice of the cry of the shepherds and the howling of the chiefs of the flock shall be heard, and Hashem has ruined their pastures. And the peaceable habitations are cut down because of the fierce anger of Hashem. He has left his cover like a lion, for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger." So, my friends, we learn from this that they are not getting away with it, nor are they ever going to get away with this. Hashem knows exactly what is going on. And I can guarantee you, I do not want to be standing in the shoes of these people trying 
to justify to the heavenly courts all the lies they told, and also, and even in more particular, the people who sought to destroy Israel and the true inhabitants, the Jewish people. Remember what Hashem said to Avraham, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. So we can take some comfort today in Hashem's truth. And speaking of that, I was really blessed last week with the opportunity to uh, share some time with my dear friend and my rabbi who happened to be visiting the United States with his wife, and that is none other than Rabbi Kayim Richman and his wonderful wife, uh, Rena. And they're just wonderful folks, and he was doing a lecture tour, and, and I had the opportunity to be able to go and listen to his lecture. And I'm telling you, for the better part of two hours, Rabbi Richmond spoke about what was occurring in Israel as we were sitting there listening to him. Uh, at, at that point, uh, Israel, the IDF had, had gone into uh, Gaza, and there, I mean, there was a lot of death and destruction going on, and he spent the better part of two hours telling us uh, of the horrors and, and the things that it uh, uh, meant for the, for the Jewish people, for the Palestinian people, for Israel as a whole. And he said something that was very, very profound to me. And it really caused me to, to, to really think. And he said that he really wasn't so concerned about the, the Jewish people and about Israel. He really wasn't as concerned for them as he was for us here in the United States. And I got to tell you, folks, when he said that to me, it hit me so hard it knocked me down. And, and I got to tell you, after I picked myself up off the floor and really pondered this, he could not be more correct exactly because of what I just mentioned, Hashem saying to Avraham, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And my friends, it's inevitable. It looks like we are going to be cursing Israel with the now current administration that we have in place and that is going to be put in place. So we go back to the question of what is our role? What is my role in all of this? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, my friends, all I can really say is that we need to be able to uh, offer a balance a, a, a balance to defray some of this curse that's going to be headed our way because of the cursing we're going to be doing to Israel in particular from the United States. We can do something about it to help eliminate some of that curse that is headed towards us. And one of those ways is by keeping the seven laws of Noah, which were given by Hashem for all mankind to follow. It is legitimately the only viable roadmap to peace in existence. Hashem knew this from the beginning. He gave it to Adam. He gave it and added to it to Noah. It exists and the covenant will always exist. And we need to start following this and the sooner rather than later. And those seven laws, my friends, are not to commit idolatry. In other words, don't be worshiping false gods. Not to commit murder. 
not to commit theft. Don't commit blasphemy against Hashem. Do not commit any sexual transgressions of any kind. Do not eat the limb of a living animal. And we're also, of course, supposed to set up courts of justice to implement, implement and judge on these seven laws. This is number one, and this will go a long way to defraying some of the uh, curse that is headed our way. Now also, we need to be able to offer and provide tangible help and hope to those who are on the front lines fighting terrorism wherever it is in the world. And to that end, Noahide Nations has created the Global Intifada Victims Emergency Relief Fund or Giver Fund. Your donations will go to provide immediate help to the victims of terrorism at a time when they absolutely need it the most. You will be providing food, clothing, shelter, money, and most of all, hope. Hope to those who have lost their their homes, have lost their livelihoods, and worse still, who have lost loved ones as a result of terrorism. I'm telling you, these folks, many of them have lost everything. We will help to provide counseling for those who are in need. We are also going to be supporting the military families and, and those, all of those who are on the front lines fighting terrorism. Though this fund will be helping all people who have suffered as a result of terrorism, it really pains me to say that I'm afraid that the main benefactors of this fund is sadly going to be Israel, for obvious reasons. They are continually under threat. They are continually having rockets launched at them. People are dying, destruction is occurring, and we need to be there to help them in their greatest time of need. And with your help, we will be. This is a mission, folks. It's a mission that will be ongoing and ever-evolving until terrorism is completely eradicated, if that's even possible. And I say enough is enough, and it's time to act. I guarantee that for myself, I don't want to be down the road saying to myself, Self, boy, I wish I had done something when I had the chance. You and I, we need to band together and unite and provide tangible help and hope to all of these victims who have been on the front line, who have suffered the most. I know times are tough, but I'll guarantee there are people in the world today that are living in much, much tougher times. So I encourage you to visit our website at noahidenations.com. That's www.noahide, N-O-A-H-I-D-E, nations.com. And look on the home page for the Global Intifada Victims Emergency Relief Fund, which will provide a link where you can make donations. Your support is so vitally important to these victims, but it's also important to us at Noahide Nations. And for your donations, we're going to be providing little gifts, kind of kind of our way of saying thank you for being a part and, and taking a, a course of action. So please visit the website, noahidenations.com, enlist in Hashem's army, and be a part of this most worthy mission. 
Well, folks, we're coming up on the end of the show, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing some of your valuable time with me today. Uh, I also want to let you know that Jim and I are working on a very big project that we hope to make an announcement on here in the near future. And also, we're going to be doing an interview with Rabbi Moshe Ganuth, who happens to be the editor of Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsberg, and we'll be speaking to him regarding the book Kabbalah and Meditation for the Nations. So there's something for you to look forward to. It ought to be an excellent interview. And folks, if at all possible, get yourself out to the Jerusalem Conference. And to my co-host, Jim, I know you're going to be listening. I pray for your safe return home. And we'll see you and everyone out there uh, right here next week on Israel National Radio. And in the meantime, look to the heavens. Receive your necessary strength from Hashem. Because I assure you, my friends, He is always looking out for you. My name is Mike from Washington, D.C. I started to have prostate problems about 10 years ago. I had to get up four or five times a night, and it left me tired all day. I work in the legal field, and I couldn't sit for more than an hour before having to ask for a recess. After taking the optimal product for a month, my symptoms almost disappeared. I can't tell you how happy I am to have found this product. Apuntima capsules made only in Israel. Go now to www.preso.com. That's P-R-I-S-S-O dot com. Praying for 40 days straight at the Western Wall in Jerusalem is a famous Jewish practice. Many have made the pilgrimage to pray for marriage, income, children, or healing. Now you too can have a 40-day prayer. Western Wall Prayers will employ a full-time Torah student to pray on your behalf or on behalf of a loved one for 40 days straight at the Wall. If you need a special prayer, visit westernwallprayers.org. That's westernwallprayers.org.